what do you recommend? And a minute into it, he just says, Tom, that's okay. Why don't you, here's my American Express card. Just send them anything you think they need. Is it okay if we pray? So that was my first sale. And I think it was the first time I realized how valuable a reputation is because mm. I didn't make that sale. Welcome to the Ad Valued Entrepreneurs Podcast, the place where we help entrepreneurs to not hate their boss. Our mission is to end entrepreneurial unhappiness. If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Ad Valued Entrepreneurs Podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. My name is Robert Peterson, former passer turned CEO and the smiling coach. I believe that success without happiness is failing, but there is hope. Join us each week as we bring you an inspiring leader or message to help you. Thanks for investing time with us today. Our guest today has had the rare privilege of spending his entire life surrounded by world-class leaders, innovators, and motivators. Family dinner included the presence of the world's top motivator, his father, Zig Ziglar. As a result, Tom Ziglar's arsenal of experience and information is absolutely unparalleled. A more productive, fulfilling, and meaningful life is available to those willing to follow his easy-to-implement sequence of making one small choice at a time through the time-tested seven key areas, mental, spiritual, physical, family, financial, personal, and career. Robert and Noel have a wonderful conversation with Tom Ziegler, the CEO of the Ziegler Corporation, where they continue to carry on the legacy of his father, Zig. The Ziegler brand is more relevant today than ever. Ziegler has exceeded 5 million likes on Facebook, and The Ziegler Show has become one of the top-ranked business podcasts. The world is hungry for inspiration, motivation, and hope. With Tom's innovation, Ziegler has become the go-to resource. If you're an entrepreneur who started their business with a purpose and a passion that has been lost in the busyness of the daily grind, we get it. That is why we've opened up our free strategy calls. A lot of entrepreneurs probably including you, just want a sense of clarity on the barriers holding them back that you need to overcome in order to accelerate your growth and achieve your dreams. These short 30-minute calls give you a chance to work with one of our coaches without any commitment or pressure. Scheduling is easy. Just go to smilingcall.com. Let's jump on a call and get you the help and clarity you need. Select a time and let's build your business. It's time for you to add value. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm excited to be here. I'm well, gooder. I tell you what, it's it's always gooder when you get to hang out with people like you, smiling. <laughs> people oh, listening, they're, they're actually smiling on the screen right now, so I'm fired <laughs> up. All right. So typically we, we interview entrepreneurs and they share their entrepreneurial journey, but you've obviously got a business journey. And so what... What led you from being the, the son of Zig Ziglar to the CEO of Zig Ziglar Corporation? Uh, well, um, when I was in college, I wanted to be a professional golfer, PGA. 
play on the tour, played college golf, um, got out of college, traveled, and I needed a job to pay for my golf habit. And so I got a job in the warehouse at our company. So I, uh, I started off uh, packing and shipping boxes and moving inventory. And then I moved over to our product production area. So we used to make our own uh, VHS tapes way back in the day, cassette tapes, if you remember what that was. And a couple of years, maybe 18 months into it, I realized that those people playing golf out there were really good. And (laughs) I had moved into sales and had really fallen in love with sales as a salesperson. And so I just really got excited about selling and uh, then moved into sales management and and moved up that way. Uh, But, you know, it was just, just a great journey. I'll tell you kind of, two pivot points in that when I went to train for sales, we went through a whole week of training and all the product, all the material, you know, the, the conversation, the sales process. And, and back then people used to call us. It was in the good old days when your phone used to ring. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, And so I remember my very first day, um, I get a call and I say, uh, good morning. This is Tom Ziegler. How can I help you? And so this man goes, Oh, Tom Ziegler, are you related? I said, yes. He goes, and I told him and he said, fantastic. I need some help. He said, my, my son in law and daughter are going through a difficult time. Mm-hmm. Um, my son in law is a dentist and he just bought a practice. He's got college debt. And he's got the debt of the new practice and they have three kids under five and they're going to be fine, but I need to get them some encouragement. What do you recommend? And so as a green salesperson, I went into catalog mode, right? Oh, well, blah, 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 blah. You know, just what I'd learned. (laughs) And a minute into it, he just says, Tom, that's okay. Why don't you, here's my American Express card. Just send them anything you think they need. Is it okay if we pray? Wow. So that was my first sale. (laughs) And I think it was the first time I realized how valuable a reputation is because Mm. I didn't make that sale. Right. That was reputation. So that's what I got to step into. And that was my very first sale. You said two pivot points. What was the other? The other one, uh, a few years later, now I was uh, managing a group of salespeople and we went to a big Amway event. And this one had 30,000 people in it. And we were we were selling product at the back of the room. And so we had all these tables lined up and it was in a big auditorium. The auditorium had, uh, like I said, 30,000 people. And they emptied out the auditorium for dinner. So at five o'clock, 30,000 people leave. And dad was the surprise guest for the event. Wow. Okay. And so that meant that we set all our product tables up. 
at five o'clock when everybody was out. So we had all these books, all these audio albums, VHS on about 20 tables. And they made us put uh, tablecloths on top of them. And so they opened the door at seven. And the idea was is 30,000 people would run in into this big arena, this big basketball arena. And, and they would go down to the front and get their seats. And they couldn't tell who was speaking because it was all covered, right? Well, the first group runs in and this guy at the very front looks over and he stops and he looks at the corner of our table and the tablecloth had not been put all the way down. And he comes over to me and he goes, is Zig Ziglar speaking here tonight? And I put my, I put my hand up to my lips and I said, Shh, don't tell anybody. And I put the tablecloth back down and he said, is, is Zig Ziglar, is, is he going to sign autographs? And I said, yeah, he is. And he said, well, where, where is that going to be? And I pointed over to a table. He said, well, is it, can I go stand in line? And I said, I said, well, he is the surprise guest and he's not scheduled to go on until midnight, which means it'll be one o'clock in the morning before he actually gets on because it's right. an Amway event. <laughs> I said, why don't you go get a great seat and then about 1130, come back here and you can get in line because nobody knows it exists. And he says, I'll just get in line now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so here's a guy in line for to get an autograph that nobody knows exists. And so in my head, I'm thinking he's only going to last a little while. An hour and a half later, I go over to him. And I say, okay, what's your story? And so here's the story. He says, well, I'm from Central America and I moved here a few years ago and I moved in with my brother. And after three weeks, I told my brother, I said, I need to be successful in the United States and I need to learn English. How do you think I should learn English? And he said, my brother handed me a book and he said, translate the book from English to Spanish, and then from Spanish back to English. Wow. And when, you, and when you do that, you'll learn English and it will change your life. And he starts crying. And the book would see you at the top. <laughs> and he says, it saved my marriage. I was an alcoholic and... I read the book and it changed my life and I started doing what it said and I quit drinking and I moved my family here and I'm living the American dream because of this book and because of your dad's message. And that's when I, I guess I was probably 27 at that point. And that's when I really understood what business we were in. We weren't in the book and tape business. We were in the life changing business. And so those were two kind of transition points for me in uh, the business that we're in and what it really means to people. Well, I love that. So, so what does family mean to the Ziegler family, to the Ziegler corporation? <laughs> well, uh, internally we call ourselves Ziglets. <laughs> and it me it really means everything uh dad always talked to home court advantage you know if you're gonna you know if, if two teams are equally matched 
whichever team is playing at home, they usually win. And when you have a great family, a great marriage, great relationships, that means that uh, over time you're usually going to win, right? Because no matter what's going on in the world, you've got this home court advantage. And then with our coaches and those and our, uh, our speakers and trainers who come through, who we license and certify, we tell them we adopt them. So they get adopted into the family. So I'm a big believer in adoption. Uh, but it, but it's, it starts, you know, it's like there's a, there's a really kind of interesting radio commercial in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and it's about – it's a divorce attorney. <laughs> and he, re- he, he represents men in divorces. And he says, okay, so you've, you've traded your health – and you've traded your family for success as the world defines it. You've got some money. Was it worth it? And so it, it just kind of goes back to, we got to have our priorities. And this is one of the things that, that, uh, you know, the pandemic's been tough on everybody, but one of the things that I think it's shown a lot of people is that, what we prioritize in the past, usually our career, that's not the most important thing. We, we, we want our family relationships, the different, we, we want to work for so, uh, something that matters, something that makes a difference. We need our health. Uh, and so people's priorities have come back a little bit to the family. And so I'm really, uh, that's one of the greatest benefits of the, of the fallout that we've been through or people are realizing that, you know what, you can be successful in your business or in your career, but if your family suffers or your health suffers, it's not worth it. So true. Yeah. Absolutely. So we know Zig Ziglar, the motivator. Tell us about Zig Ziglar, the dad. <laughs> well, I tell everybody he was better off stage than he was on stage. So, and he was pretty good on stage. Um, he was a little bit of an introvert, kind of quiet, always very intentional. Um, when you were around him, you just, you knew he was paying attention to you, right? Even if he's in the, even if you're sitting together and he's working on something, you know, he's always looking over and, and, uh, and then he would read something new or learn something. He would try it out on you. And so that was good. He always, uh, when I was growing up, he traveled a lot, but whenever he's in town, he always took me to school. Uh, he made it a point to do that. And, and then we played a lot of golf. Uh, dad and I did that was, we loved to do that together. I would say probably the word on his family was intentionality. You know, he just, um, he, he had a, when he wrote, he wrote two books on, on the family, raising positive kids, in a negative world and then courtship after marriage. Uh, and one of the sayings that, that, you know, the courtship after marriage, well, how do you, how do you have a happy marriage? You, you treat your spouse after you get married, just like you did right before you got married. Right. Oh, I mean, better. Yeah. Most people, it goes downhill uh, a little bit, but dads, you know, never did. But, but he used to say this, he said, um, quality time is important but it can never take the place of quantity time. Mm. (laughs) And so I think we forget that 
we just got to be with our family a lot because it's in the unplanned events of life where the moments happen. And then we've got to be tuned in enough uh, to see the moment. And I think that's the biggest challenge today is the noise in our culture, right? The distraction, you know, back then we didn't growing up, uh, we didn't have self, you know, smart smartphones. <laughs> I don't right. know if smart's the right word, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it reminds me, of, I think it was Jim Rowland talked about the, you're, you're like the five people you hang around. So if you're around your family and you're having your kids do things with you and you're being intentional on that uh, relationship, they get to see and hear their feedback and their criticism and their growth and their inspiration from you. And that that's what you want. Yep. They want, you know, the, when we talk about family, I, the, the words that I use on family are influence and example. And so in the family, first, you got to be the right example. And dad had this philosophy that said this, you got to be before you can do, and you got to do before you can have. And what he meant was, is you've got to be the right kind of person and then do the right things in order to have all that life has to offer. And then what we say is when you have, then you can give because you can't give something you do not have. And then the ultimate gift is legacy. And so when we're the right example, it means that we're the right person. And it starts with the mental, our mindset, our attitude, our belief, you know, the way we view the world, our, our spiritual, which is our faith you know, and all the virtues like kindness and love and generosity. And then there's the physical, which is our overall health, you know, how, how you know, our, our exercise, our nutrition, our sleep, how we handle stress. And so when we think of family, we've got to be the right example, which means we're mentally, spiritually, and physically right, okay? Well, when, when those three things are right, then that allows us to have the right influence, Right. Because what you what you just said earlier is that when we spend a lot of time with our family. The way we respond or react to the world is what they really learn from. Mm. Right. So respond is positive, react is negative. And so if mentally, uh, spiritually and physically, I'm solid and then the world throws what it throws at us because it happens all the time. Well, then our kids and those we do life with, they see that response and that has a bigger influence on them than anything, right? So the example we set when life happens is what makes the difference. And so those are the words that, that we go by. That's fantastic. So you mentioned virtues, so I'm going to throw it out there. Your, uh, your new book, 10, 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times. And uh, I really, really appreciate the the, the virtues obviously are, are so important, but I, I think even the the format and the way you, you went about the book is similar to what you just described of being an example, because you, you talk about, you know, who do you need to be, how do you need to be, and then what needs to be done. So tell us a little bit what, what led to the writing of, of this book. Yeah, so the book came out at the very end of 2021. It came out in December of 2021. And the when we wrote the book, my first book was called Choose to Win. That came out in 2019. 
And Thomas Nelson, who's the publisher, uh, when when we went to them as a publisher, they said, you know what, we want to do this uh, a deal with you, but we want you to do two books instead of one. And all I had was choose to win, right? That's the only book. And I kind of I kind of like two for one. And I sure. said to them, that's fantastic, but I don't even know what the next book is going to be. And they said, don't worry about it. You've got a whole year to come up with it. Because we, we did that agreement probably in early 2018. And so 2019 comes and they postpone it. So that they're saying, okay, you, you have a little bit more time. We don't need it right away. And then at the end of 2019, I started writing a book. And then 2020 happened in the pandemic. And the whole publishing world shuts down. And at that point in March, probably May, it was either April or May, right after the shutdown, I started studying every change happening to business because of the pandemic. And so now for almost three years, that's where the majority of my research and study has been, is what's different today in the business world because of all the dominoes that changed. And so that's how that book got written. And so I believe, uh, well, the 10 leadership virtues for disruptive times, I believe, and this is great news, that the disruption is only going to increase in intensity and frequency. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's inflation or Ukraine or political unrest or whatever it is, technology advance, disruption is just going to continue to increase. And so the book was really written for a leader who wanted to thrive in disruption. And so that's kind of how the book came about. Uh, there's three sections in the book. The first section is on mindset. How do we embrace disruption? The bulk of the book is about the 10 leadership virtues. Everybody says, love your people, but nobody tells you how. Right. <laughs> so walking out those virtues is how you love people. And then the last part of the book is I believe we all need to become coach leaders. And mm -hmm. as a leader, when we have a kind of a coach relationship with our direct reports, we're then being very, very intentional about helping them become more effective tomorrow than they are today. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a leader, you have people on your team, I really believe that your job is to pay your people more money. That's your job. And I've said that in, in front of a large audience and a bunch of business owners and they look up. And so the, a lot of them have team members there. And I said, for those of you who work for your for a company, how many of you agree with me? And so 100% of the hands go up and I say, okay, yeah, that's right. So, but, but here's the relationship in order for me as a leader to pay you more money. It means that you have to be more effective at what you do, which means that your contribution to the business has to result in growth or profitability or some measurable. And if that happens, then I'm going to pay you more money. Does that sound fair? And then all of a sudden, we've got an owner 
and their team or the leader and their team on the same page. Hey, you know what? In order to grow, this, we have to be more effective tomorrow than we are today. So how are we going to improve? And we teach a very simple coaching conversation that does that uh, and keeps that going. So powerful. Well, I love, I mean, obviously the virtues are, are character traits, character development. Um, and, I, and I feel like the, the who do we need to be in and you talk about kindness, selflessness, respect, and, and humility. Those aren't necessarily the traits that most leaders would aspire to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think everybody says they're important. Uh, one of the things, you know, some people will say, well, what's the one virtue that would help all the other virtues? Um in the kindness chapter, golly, just think if our leaders were just kind. Imagine. Just out and out. Just imagine that. And But the funny thing is, is that uh, if you ask somebody, hey, are you kind? They'll tell you, yeah, I'm kind. But if you follow them around with a camera, they're not behaving so kind. And so whenever there is uh, disagreement and there's two different views, two different opinions. And just imagine if they sat down at the table and they were both kind to each other in the conversation, how much better would the world be? Right. It's just an amazing thing. Then humility. So, you know, we just went through a political season and I didn't see one political ad that said vote for so-and-so because they're smart and they know the issues and they're eloquent in front of the room and they've been very successful and they're a fool, okay? Because nobody wants to vote for a fool, but at the same time, so what do we want in a leader? We want wisdom but I didn't see one candidate run on a platform of wisdom vote for me or vote for so-and-so because they have wisdom because they're so, so why is that? Because it's hard to tell if somebody's wise, right? Usually wisdom comes from experience, which means they've made some mistakes, right? But, but we all have been around wise people and we know it. And so this is what I tell people. Vote for someone who's wise. And if you don't know if they're wise, then ask yourself, are they humble? Because the only way to become wise is through humility. Because humility understands, I don't know all the answers. Humility understands that you might know something I don't know. And if we can work on this together, we're probably going to get a better result. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by Perfect Publishing, a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing carefully chooses heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You will see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. 
Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. And so there's so many powerful things about humility as one of those components is a virtue. But a leader, uh, you know, Patrick Lencioni in Five Dysfunctions of a Team, he, he says the greatest attribute of a leader is vulnerability, right? Which is simply the willingness to say, hey, that was my fault. I own it, right? Or you think that's bad. Look at what I did, right? I mean, it's that ability to be vulnerable and to let people know you're not perfect. Well, vulnerability and humility go hand in hand. If, if we're humble, we can hear uh, a different view from someone else and take that into consideration. If we're arrogant or prideful or we think we know all the answers, then we're shutting off the new information that's going to allow us to thrive in this disruption. And so it's, it's a key component. And I think even in the coaching conversation, if somebody thinks they know, their brain says, oh, I know that, and they shut off versus the person with right. humility that's open to say, oh, this is something I can learn, or it's a reminder of something I need to take action on. Yep, absolutely. Um, and that's why if you really adopt a coaching style as a leader, um, what you're really doing is you're preparing very curious questions. And if you do that from a perspective of humility, then you're really going to learn things you didn't know before about that person, which makes you more able to guide or direct them or to ask even better questions. The other thing that happens is when I ask great questions, like if I ask somebody, um, hey, in your job role, what attitudes could you demonstrate that would make you more effective? Well, if I'm asking you that question and you're on my team, that the way you answer tells me a lot. If you've been there for 30 days, you may not know, right? You may be green. This might be your first experience. Well, that tells me how much hands-on attention I need to give you. If you're a little bit of a veteran and you know your personality and you say, well, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of an introvert. I don't smile much. So I need to remember to smile whenever I'm with the customer, right? Because they'll read me as being closed off. And so the answer tells you a lot. And then when they say, well, I need to smile more with a the customer, then you ask the follow-up question. Okay, that's great. Well, you know, how are you going to prepare to smile more before you go meet with the customer? And see, that's another question. And so now they've got to think about the answer. And so they give you an answer. Oh, I might listen to some Zig Ziglar on the way to the, to the appointment. <laughs> That'll get me excited. That'll remind me to smile when I knock on the door. Well, great. That's a great idea. Why don't you write that down? And so in this process, the person who you're coaching creates their own plan, right? You, your questions guide them but they create their own plan. And then because they create their own plan, they have ownership in it. And when they own their own plan, they're far more likely to follow through because at the end, 
as a coach leader, you would simply say, Hey, that's a great, that's a great plan you have. Is it okay if I hold you accountable to your plan? What are they going to say? They just created it. And then that other word that you mentioned, the R word, the respect word, there's a certain level of respect that you show somebody when you're just revealing to them that they, they already know a lot of the answers, right? And you're just showing them they know the answers. Well, that that's a different, you walk out of that meeting going, you know, I always knew that was the right thing. I just got confirmation. That's respect. When you get told what to do, you leave with, they didn't even hear me or ask me. That's disrespect. And so mm-hmm. you, you, by doing the coaching process correctly, we show respect in there and we show humility and we show kindness because sometimes they'll give us answers that we didn't expect and we'll dig into it. And then we learn things we didn't know and it allows us to, to meet them where they are. It's so powerful. So the second next section really has two things that are my favorite. Obviously, positivity is is super important and and a big part of the things that we do. But I love the last trait, looking looking for the best. And defining that as a virtue is just beautiful. Yeah, you know, Dad used to say, far too many people have been told what they can't do instead of what they can do. And when we have a high standard and we expect the best, but then we go into every situation looking for the best. Um, I like to do assessments and I like to do different um, personal profiles, whether it's DISC or or strength finders or, or what uh, Patrick, the six geniuses that, that, that I just went through. And the interesting thing is that somebody told me a story years ago. This was back when Tony Romo was the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. And he'd had a, he'd had a really great season. Of course, the Cowboys had a disappointing end again, but it wasn't Romo's fault. You know, he carried the team on his back. And they came to me and they said, you know, did you hear about the interview with Tony and the coaches? And I said, no. And he said, yeah, they met with Tony one-on-one. And they went over his season stats and they said, Tony, man, your completion percentage outside of the pocket was the best in the league. Your ability to audible at the line, that might be one of your greatest strengths. Your ability to shake off a defender and throw it to the open person. Wow, you're you're one of the top quarterbacks in the league. That's fantastic. But then they said, you know, there's three areas where you're not very good at. You're a terrible tackler. You can't kick field goals. And on special teams, you're horrible. So this offseason, we're going to work on your tackling, your kicking, and your special team skills. Did they say that to Tony Romo? No, that'd be crazy, right? Instead, what did they do? They went to his strengths and they said, we need to get you another offensive lineman. We need to design plays that are going to maximize your natural athletic ability outside of the pocket. We need to get you receivers who don't give up on the route, but who continue to run routes even even when the normal play is over. 
And so when we go in looking for the best, that's kind of the mindset that we're doing. We're going to, we're going to see what the strengths are of the people on our team. We're going to highlight those and we're going to see how we can involve those strengths into more of the plays. And, and the biggest one is this, is we let them know uh, what their strengths are. And we do that depending on the person and the personality. We can do that in a team meeting or we can do it one-on-one. We can do it in email. We can do it in both. But I'll just give you a practical example. Let's suppose you had a salesperson on your team and they had a big deal that was about to come through. And then all of a sudden it started to blow up at the end and this happened and that happened. And, and they just went the extra mile, you know, they worked three nights in a row getting everything together and they called out and they made special arrangements and they did stuff outside of their area just to make it happen. And they end up closing the deal. Right. And it's a huge win for them and for the organization. And so what you could do is you could be a good finder and you could point out in front of the team and in front of the business, hey, what a great job they did. They went the extra mile. This is fantastic. This is such a huge win for the company. And that's important. And you should do that. But If you really want to look for the good, for the best, you would take it one step further and you would say, but the thing I'm most proud of is that you going the extra mile really shows your character and your integrity around your commitment to serving the client, to supporting the mission of the organization. So even though you did all this hard work and we've got this big win, I want you to know what I'm most grateful for is your integrity. So why is that important? Well, if the next day the client calls and says, hey, deal's off, sorry, we just got bought out, we can't follow through. If all you recognize them for was the win, it's a, it's a deflating event. But if you recognize them for their integrity, you can go to them and say, you know, that stuff happens but your integrity is intact and that's why you're on the team. And that's why I'm grateful for you. And that lasts forever. If you are leading somebody and you make that kind of integrity or virtue statement towards them sincerely around uh, an example like that, people will cry when you share that with them because they've never been told that. Mm. So we got yeah, it's so crazy because I look, think too many leaders are right finders instead of good finders. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right finder. Hey, you got that right. You got the deal. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. And, you know, but a good finder says, and we got the deal because of your virtue. Right. Yeah, Especially the if they're not the activity. Yeah. We're, we're celebrating their character, which they have control over. Right. See, when like we ask for the, when we ask for, yeah, uh, dad with us, you know, he, he never complimented on our, us on our intelligence because we don't have control over that. He would always 
compliment us on our on our on how hard we studied or, or our discipline or our work ethic or things that we had control over. And so our character, our virtue, we have control over those things. They're choices. Yeah, you can choose how to respond. Yep. So the things to be done now, obviously being the light, never giving up and standing firm are are all characteristics of that that front person, right? Yep. Absolutely. Um, what my and standing firm. Uh, I'm. I love the movie The Greatest Showman, and I think I've watched it seven or eight times. Like me too. Just whenever, I, especially if I'm on a long flight, you know, I'll go into the uh, deal and watch it again, and I cry every time I see it. Um, so my wife liked the movie too. We watched it together three or four of those times. And Hugh Jackman came to Dallas and he, he did the greatest showman uh, musical, right? Stage show. So we go wow. down to American Airlines Center and it wasn't just songs from the greatest showman, probably 70% were, but there were, you know, some of his things. And so the opening scene is, they, they bring everybody on and they're doing the dance and he's singing the song, you know, and the music is just going and you're getting that feeling right. Uh, and the movie's all about a leader who brought people onto the team who quote unquote didn't fit, right? They were misfits, right? They were the, the bearded woman or the giant or the, or the uh, little person or whatever. And he said, no, you're special and, and, and you have a story to tell and a song to sing and you're valuable just the way you are. And so he brought these people and that's the way we all feel, right? That's the way uh, everybody to some extent is, do I fit in? Do I belong? Am I good enough? Uh, you know, and so he brings them all in and you see, and that's the business that we're in at Ziegler is, you know, we're constantly showing people, Hey, you're good enough, right? You've got, you've got everything inside of you already. You need to be successful. You just got to recognize, claim, develop, and use those qualities that you already have in there. And that's the business that we're in. And so in this, uh, at, at the finale of this opening song, he's got his, his black top hat on and he's got his red coat, like you wear in the circus, right. And his white pants, and he in the stage staging goes all the way out into the crowd. Right. So there. And so he walks maybe 20 rows into the audience on this stage. And his whole the whole group is behind him and, and they come to the crescendo and the music stops and he throws his arms down by his side and he looks up and he sticks his chest out. And it's like he's just telling the audience, he's telling everybody there, this is my team. And the, the, the standing firm, the stance is the warrior spine and the open heart. And so as a leader, we have this warrior spine, right? We've got this posture that says we're ready to go to war. We're, we're ready to fight the good fight. We're ready to do whatever it takes. And when we go to battle, who do we want leading us? We want a warrior who's got scars, right? We want somebody who's been there before, somebody who knows the cost of battle, 
And then when he throws his arms down by his side and sticks his chest out, that's open heart. And what he's saying is, I'm showing you my heart, right? So that's a so that's this unique stance of power and vulnerability all at the same time. And what he was really saying was, don't look at me, look at my team. And that's what we, as leaders and entrepreneurs and owners, and that's what we got to do with our people is we got to, we got to recognize the greatness, you know, look for the best in them. We got to, we got to go to that, you know, out in front and lead with that warrior spine and open heart and standing firm, no matter what's going on, because we, the reason we're going to win is the people on the team. Well, and how they react, right? Because if the leader freaks out, the people are going to freak out and then, and then decisions become fear decisions instead of confidence decisions. hundred percent, you know, in the first part of the book where we talk about mindset, um, there's a story I used to illustrate this. Um, Tom Watson, the golfer, he won eight major championships. And five of those championships were British Opens. <laughs> and so they were interviewing him and they said, Tom, how did you win five British Opens? And he said, bad weather. And the interviewer said, what do you mean bad weather? And he said, well, here's the thing. I'm an elite golfer. And so when I'm playing well and I enter a tournament, there's 150 players. He said, but I've only got to beat 20 of them if I'm playing well. Now, if the weather's bad, the weather will take out 15 of those 20. Mentally, they don't know how to handle it. And the British Open has the worst weather of any golf tournament we play. It's notorious for... 40 mile an hour winds and hail and sleet and wind direction changes and temperature up and down by 30 degrees. He said, so that's why I've won bad weather. And the journalist said, well, how do you prepare for the British open? And he said, I pray for rain. <laughs> and, and so as a leader, if you can message your team constantly, we love disruption Disruption is where we thrive because our team knows how to learn and grow. And the more disruption there is, you see the world thinks it causes problems, but we look at it as there's more opportunities. And so when disruption comes and people have problems, we're there to serve. We're there to solve their problems. And other people might freeze when disruption comes, but we thrive in it. So when the team gets gets built around this idea that it's fantastic when it rains because that's when we serve more and win more. Then that standing firm, right, in the storm, that's where those two, that mindset and that posture come hand in hand. It, it's hard, if you don't create the mindset in advance, it's hard to stand firm when the storm comes. Absolutely. All right, the last chapter is probably my favorite and, and the idea of creating your future, I love helping business owners see that they can design a life and they can build their business to, to support it and be very intentional. Like your father was very intentional with his family, very intentional with his business. So let's talk a little bit about creating your future. Yeah, there's a, there's a quote that I use 
And it says, we create the future we see. And so if you can't see it, you can't create it. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've got a, got a bottle of water here. And before this bottle of water ever became a physical product, it was a mental, it was a thought. Somebody thought, golly, it'd be great to have a bottle of water. And so they thought, you know, how big would it be? What's it going to be made out of? Where are we going to get materials? How are we going to manufacture? All those thoughts got put into, a, you know, a, a plan, right? A design. And then that person called around and said, hey, can you make us this? And they did. And now it's a physical product. So we need to get a vision of the future we want to create. What is it that, you know, why are we building our business? What's the why that drives it? And when we start to see that, then not only does that give us clarity on where we want to go, but it also gives us hope, right? Because hope is really that belief there's something we can do to make things better. And so if I've got a clear vision of what I want, all I've got to do is say, okay, what's one thing I can do to get closer to that? And so when we got a vision of the future we want, and then we have hope that we can go and get it, that changes our thinking today, right? Because if I've got hope for the future and there's things I can do, my thinking is positive. It's action oriented and it's let's go do it. If, if I truly believe there's nothing I can do to change my future, then why take action on anything, right? And so hope creates an attitude that lifts my thinking today. Well, my thinking today changes my performance today. So if my thinking's right, my performance is going to go up. If my thinking's wrong or hopeless, my performance is going to go down. And then, of course, our performance today determines the future that we create. And so we've got to create the future first to elevate our thinking so that it changes how we do something, which increases the likelihood we get it. So it starts with that. Tom, that is so fantastic. All right. We end every episode with the guests sharing their words of wisdom. So, Tom, what, what were your words of wisdom to entrepreneurs listening be? Yeah, so I have a new uh, formula. Brand new this morning. It was born this morning. Wow. Uh, here it is. P minus H equals R. Potential minus habits equals regrets. Ooh. So I think if you go around and you say, hey, do you have untapped potential inside of you? Everybody says, yeah, I do. Okay, so your potential, okay, if you don't build habits, okay, and in businesses, we build systems. So systems are just habits for your business and habits are just systems for your personal life, right? That's all it is. And so if we, if we know we've got this potential, then what we've got to do is build habits that draw out that potential. And in, instead of 
if we do that, instead of regrets, we'll have legacy, we'll have rewards, we'll have a life well lived. So I, I look at um, the idea of potential uh, habits are what allow us to step into our potential. Dad said that the uh, that success is the maximum utilization of the abilities that God gave you. Yeah, so good. And so, and so we're everybody's definition of success is based on the abilities that God gave you. Well, another way to look at that, it's 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 maximizing the potential that God's given you. And how do we do that? We we implement habits. Uh, and it's, and so that's a very, very simple thing. So what are the habits in your life that, that will maximize the potential in any direction you want to go? That's what we got to focus on. If we don't, we're going to have regrets. There's, if you, if you give it all your got and you develop all the right habits and you get the silver medal in the Olympics, you didn't get the gold, but you know what else you didn't get? Regrets. Right. But if you don't give it all you got, if you don't maximize what you have, that's, that's a bad place to be. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for joining us today. And there's so much encouragement and enlightenment and things to think on and and lots of things to share with our audience. So just uh, appreciate you coming and joining us today. All right. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by intentional decisions that lead to massive success. No, those aren't companies promoting our show. They're qualities that you need to build your business and take control of your life. So to help you out, I'm offering my most popular worksheets to help you plan the future you want and audit your calendar today. The best way to get what you want is to know what it is and start making sure that your calendar matches. You can download them free today at addvaluemindset.com. If you will take action by just completing these two activities, they will change your life and business. I promise you a new level of results in the coming year. The problem is that we make things so complicated and we lose focus on what is really important. These tools will help you refocus on what matters most. When you align your passion with your purpose in your work, you can be happier and start doing the things you wanted to in the first place, like spending more quality time with the kids. To get your free copy of the tools to start tackling your busy schedule, go to addvaluemindset.com. If you enjoy the show, please like, subscribe, leave a review. But most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who needs to hear it. Share, share, share. In our next episode, Jason Croft and Robert discuss his journey as an entrepreneur, podcaster, and media expert. He has leveraged his experience and relationships to create a business helping entrepreneurs with their lead generation. His mission is to put a spotlight on his clients for the world to see.